You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. So we've had a couple weeks that have been a little bit different scenario, but we are back on our hermeneutics study about how to correctly interpret God's Word. We've been walking through different sections in Scripture to know how to do that. And so right here, right now, we're going to kind of pick up a little bit the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at how should we interpret the Gospels, okay? So you can actually turn to Matthew chapter 1 if you would like to. We're going to be going to a few different places tonight, but Matthew chapter 1. Uh, does anybody know, Bible scholar, what the word gospel means? Good news, right? There you go, good news. It means the good news. The gospel was something that typically a king would send someone out, a messenger, to say, I proclaim to you the gospel of king such and such, the gospel of this empire, whatever. Basically say this, no more Texas, or the war is over, or something like this. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, Jesus Christ is king. <laughs> Repent for the kingdom of God is at, at hand, he's coming. And so we're going to look at those gospels. There are four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, if you were to start a, a riveting story of someone, uh, if you look at those first few words, what do you notice about it? It says, the book of the, what? Genealogy. Doesn't that sound exciting, right? Okay. Some of you really get into, like, genealogy stuff if it's, like, an interesting story. But if you look at that, what does it say? Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah. And you go, is this the way you start a book out? Like, really? This is the best thing? But that shows you something. Um, who in the world will be concerned with uh, making sure that the first opening pages that you're supposed to grab everybody's attention will be a genealogy? Jews, exactly right. If Jews were concerned about, tell me where this Jesus guy came from, they said, oh, we'll tell you his, his rights. We'll, we'll tell you who he come from. And that alone in of itself teaches us so much about the nature of these Gospels. So let's look at a couple things. That the four Gospels all tell the story of Jesus, but are delivered to different audiences from different perspectives. Make sense? So if you've ever wondered, why don't we just have one? Why is the book called Jesus? Why is it called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Because this is Matthew's account of Jesus. Mark's account of Jesus. Luke's account of Jesus. John's account of Jesus. Why do we need four stories of the same thing? Because Matthew was writing to the Jews, uh, Mark was writing to the Romans, Luke was writing to the Gentiles, and John was writing to non-believers. That's the reason why. We're going to unpack that a little bit more, but that's the reason why there are four different accounts to four different groups of people. So to understand the truth contained fully within them, we must understand the context in which they were written. There is our magic word again, right? Context. You've heard it more than anything uh, in these last few months, and I'm so thankful for it because hopefully we, we get that picture. So let's talk about how were the Gospels composed. First and foremost, the Gospels are books about Jesus, but what? Not by Jesus. So these are biographies, but not autobiographies, right? Make sense? So Jesus didn't write these. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John did. Now, you go, there are pros and cons to that, but the reality is this. These are people that were observing the life of Jesus. I mean, notice something about them. So revolutionary, they wrote it down. It wasn't their story. It was God's story in this. Don't you start this computer so help me. I'm telling you what. It's going to come. I promise you this. In the name of Jesus, come on. <laughs> When I snapped, it went a little fuzzy. Okay, um, there you go. 
The Gospels contain narrative portions as well as large portions of teaching. This is what makes it very interesting, okay? Uh, this is what makes it very interesting if you think about it. Uh, because it's not just narrative, which is story, right? It's not just a collection of sermons, but this is actually narrative portions, and then all of a sudden they break into teaching, right? And so as you read these four Gospels, it's kind of hard because it's not just one genre of literature. It's a few different genres of literature kind of contained within it. So it's narrative. Jesus is going along this way, and this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And then all of a sudden, here are these two chapters that are really collections of sermons that you read through it. Now, while parts are biographical, the Gospels never intended to record every detail of Jesus' life. Okay? There are certain aspects of this that are biographical. They tell you the story of Jesus. The Gospels never intended to record every detail of Jesus' life. Give you an example. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark doesn't start the story of Jesus until he's 30 years old. Okay? Uh, it appears that Jesus lived for 33 years, which means this. Um, you don't have a lot of material that you're working off of based on at least the span of his life. And if you really look at it, Mark wrote 16 chapters about Jesus in those three years. You go, we know a lot about Jesus. There's a lot we don't know, right? If you really boil it down, this is, this is something I was thinking about doing the other day. Uh, um, I would love if you looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and to really say, how many days are we talking about here of his life? Because you think about like this event, feeding the 5,000, was one thing that happened. Was there something else pretty awesome that he probably did that day? You better believe it, right? Everywhere that he went, there were certain things that were happening. So we don't know every single detail of his life. There are certain things that we want to know. Uh, and once again, we know uh, in Matthew and Luke, they give you account of his birth. Then we see something that happens at uh, around age two. We see something else that happens around age 12. And besides that, nothing, right? Nothing. So it's not just a biography. You go, well, when he's in middle school, he was like this. It's not important to what these guys are trying to get across. Now, what sections are in the Gospels as we, we think through uh, they're composed together? Here's the first thing. As we mentioned, narrative. These sections tell what Jesus did, Okay. They're going to say, hey, Jesus is walking along this way, and he sees this tree, and he says this. And all of a sudden, he's walking along, and he finds this beggar, and he does this. These are narrative sections of Scripture telling us what Jesus did. Certain things within it that are just so amazing um, to be able to read. We took, uh, I guess it was 2018 to 2019, we took a full year to um, uh, preach through the entire Gospel of Mark. It took us 53 sermons to walk through the life of Jesus um, one of my favorite years of my life just doing this is incredible to watch. And one of the few things I can remember, like um, there's certain narrative portions that Mark will make you work for. He's not going to go out and say this, but in Mark chapter 1, a leper came up to Jesus, right? Which is a big no-no, right? You can't leave. You're supposed to be on the outskirts of the town, away from all the people. And all of a sudden, here comes this beggar, a leper who comes in. And he says, if you're willing, will you cleanse me? And then it says, and Jesus reached out his arm and grabbed the guy and said, I'm willing to be cleansed. But exactly right. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to touch him, right? If he was cleansed, you've got to give him a few days just to make sure he really is cleansed. Then he can give him a hug. What does Jesus see? He sees a guy that has not received physical contact for who knows how many years of his life. And Jesus is saying this very, very clearly. And Mark's making you work on it just to at least look at the progression no, 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 you've been without anybody, I'm willing, grab you. 
How's that physical touch feel, man? Been on your own a long time. You don't think anybody loves you. I love you. You're good. You're, you're safe with me. And now I'll tell you be cleansed. And what happens in this moment is the scripture tells us if you touch a leper, guess what you are now? If he's unclean, now you are. That's the point, folks. Jesus is saying he's not unclean because he's sinful. He's identifying with our mess. He touches it and it comes upon him. Same situation. Why would Jesus get baptized? Jesus didn't get baptized. Everybody's going in that water, the Jordan River, right, to uh, wa symbolically wash their sins away. So when Jesus comes in as clean, when he goes under the water, he's not washing something off. Actually, what's he getting on? He's identifying with all of our sin that was getting dropped off in the river. You following me? So when he does this, he's saying, I'm, I'm not needing to be cleansed. I'm actually identifying with all your mess here. And look at narrative portions of Scripture. I, I love there was a moment where Jesus was on the way, and this guy named Jairus came up, very important guy, very well-to-do guy, and says, hey, my 12-year-old daughter's dying. I need you to come right now. Jesus starts coming. There's a big crowd around him, and all of a sudden somebody comes alongside. It's a lady who's been having a health condition for 12 years, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, no, I don't want to interrupt the things, but I'm just going to go up, and if I could just touch the fringe of his garment, right, just the fringe, I'll be healed. She touches, and the crowd doesn't say a word, and all of a sudden Jesus goes, hold on. Somebody just touched me. And Peter goes, there's a lot of people touching you, Jesus. <laughs> Everybody's crowding around you. No, 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 somebody just got healed. Who is that? He knows. He's got this opportunity for this lady. He goes, it was me. I've been sick. How long have you been sick for? Twelve years. Twelve. Huh, we're on, on the way to save a little 12-year-old girl. And the dad's going, and I know Jesus, so we got to hurry. She's really sick. She's dying right now. I need you there. My 12-year-old daughter is dying, Jesus. And he's like, yeah, I know. Just hold on a second. So tell me what's going on, lady. I've been sick for 12 years. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. But I just thought maybe I could touch you. I'd be cleansed. And he said these words. You ready for it? They don't, they don't unpack it. They make you work for it. The only time Jesus used this word in all of the Gospels, he said, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Now, why would he say daughter in that moment? Okay, because if you think about most likely medically what she's dealing with, and she's been dealing with 12 years, here's a 30-year-old man talking to somebody who's probably around the same age, if not older. Why would he say daughter? Because he's standing next to a man going, hurry up, my daughter's dying. And he's saying, don't you understand all these are my daughters? Don't you see this? I'm concerned about her. I'm concerned about her as well. And guess what? I'll be able to take care of all of it. And so he, then all of a sudden he's taking care of this lady. Somebody comes up and says, hey, don't worry, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Jesus goes, she's not dead, she's sleeping, we'll get there in a second. What is Jesus teaching in those narrative portions? I can take care of the urgent, I can take care of the inconvenient, and nobody's a bother to me. I care for all people. And it's just these little clues. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are incredible at just kind of dropping them there. You read it one time, not a big deal. You read it a second time, huh, I wonder if they mean that. You read it over and over and over, and stuff just starts popping all over the place as you see it. Those are narrative sections. We also see in the teaching sections, these sections record what Jesus taught. There are sometimes, here's a parable that they teach, and sometimes here's a, the longest passage of Scripture. Matthew 5 through 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's up there on the mountainside, and everybody's gathered together, and he just delivers the most incredible sermon um, that is just life-changing, society-changing, you name it. There's other places where he's sitting around the table, and they've just given the Last Supper in John chapter 5. 13 to chapter 17 it's just one kind of like teaching session he does for his boys you know hey, i'm gonna tell you something like when you go out here here's the difference about you guys if you have love for one another it's going to show everybody that you belong to me 
hey, I want you to know, I know you're worried about me leaving, but let me tell you something, something better than me is going to come, and uh, it's going to be to your advantage if I leave and the Holy Spirit comes. Hey, my prayer for you is that you're going to be one, and even the people who aren't here right now, but one day they're going to come in my name, that they would be united under this truth. Here's all these wonderful teaching passages that he has. In teaching, there's one other section we really do need to unpack just for a brief moment. They're called parables. These sections portray a singular truth in memorable stories. Okay? Singular truth, memorable stories. There are certain places within Scripture where Jesus would tell a, a parable that was very, very unique, very distinct in what he was trying to teach because it would be a singular truth, memorable story, something of unique kind of nature. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son, right? I could ask you guys right now, you tell me that story. It's the power of a story. Jesus knew that. And guess what they didn't have when Jesus was preaching? They did not all have camera phones videotaping every time he preached, right? They didn't have a podcast to listen to. They all didn't have a copy of God's Word. So why did Jesus come at that time? Because he could tell a riveting story that they would never forget. Whoa, you mean to tell me that this son basically told his dad, I wish you were dead and I could take all your stuff or whatever, and then all of a sudden he lost all the money and was sitting there in a pig pen going, man, my father's servants are better off than I am. Like, what in the world? I should just go back to him. And then all of a sudden this guy decides to go back to see if he can get a job from his dad, and when he goes home, he sees his dad where? On the front porch. And all of a sudden he starts running down the road, and what does he do? He embraces him and says, everybody stop, we got to have a party. Why? Because my son was once lost, but now he's found. There's a story that we remember, right? Mm-hmm. Story of the Good Samaritan. Y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember the Good Samaritan. You remember these things. Jesus knew that in those times. Yeah, I can give you a, here's the 10-point list of what you need to do to live for me. And they ain't going to go, okay? We don't remember those things. He'd remember a story, and so he taught in that way. I'm super excited because next year, uh, I think it's going to be May through August. We're going to be uh, studying the parables of Jesus, just walking through that at sermons and whatnot. Uh, the only problem is I'm having to... Uh, make my mind up on some of them, which ones we're going to do and which ones we're not. But just love walking through those portions of Scripture. As we look, uh, how should we study the Gospels? Here's a couple things to, to realize. Immerse yourself in the first century Judaism in which Jesus lived. Judaism, once again, an ethnic, religious kind of way of life, because when we read it, there are certain things that we will not understand unless we immerse ourselves right up in the middle of it, right? Certain things that we just don't get, Um Jesus said in Matthew 23, 24, unless you, uh, some of you filter out the gnat and swallow the camel, we go, what? What does that even mean? Well, because the Jews at that time, they did not have Aquafina uh, water bottles, and so if they were going to drink water, they would filter out in their water, hoping to get gnats. And he says, you guys are so worried about these microscopic little things in the law that you're missing the bigger portion. You're filtering the gnat, yet you're swallowing a camel. Yeah, you got all your little rules right, but you're missing love and justice and mercy and all these big things right here. You're just missing it. And so in this, you go, okay, i got to get in the culture so I make sure I understand what he's saying, what's happening, what what was the big deal here. We also discover who Jesus' audience was in a given situation. Was it close disciples? Was it large crowds? Was it religious opponents? Because guess what? He talked differently, folks. So sometimes the message would be specifically geared towards certain groups of people in a very, very different way. Um, I'll give you an example. I believe Matthew chapter 22-ish. Yes, chapter 22. Um, One point, uh, Jesus comes up and and there's people who, um, these Pharisees came along and asked him a question. Jesus stumped them. 
Then all of a sudden the Sadducees come up and the Essenes come up and there's this group called the Herodians, right? Which you guys have never heard of the Herodians. That sounds like a really bad band name. Herodians would come, would be followers of who? Hear the name there? Herod. So Herod is the, the Roman leader. And at one point it says that the Herodians and the Pharisees got together to stump Jesus. Now, if you see these two groups of people together, what does that tell you? They're going, I don't care how bad we hate each other, we hate him more. Let's see if somehow we can say something to get him trapped in all of this. So you've got to discover who the audience was as he's talking. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic gospels. Okay, can you say that, synoptic? synoptic? They describe events from a similar point of view, but they are very, very close. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, if you read them back to back to back, um, you will go, I've heard this story. Sometimes you go, I really heard this story. That kind of sounds just like the way the last guy said it. Like, how, how is that, right? Well, in very in real reality, there is a chance that these guys actually were borrowing some materials from each other. If we think through it, they're actually learning certain things and saying, okay, and, and also we're going to know, give you an example. Um, we'll get here in a second. Mark was not one of the 12 disciples, okay? He's kind of one of the few hundreds of disciples, but he got most of his material from Peter, okay? Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. So you would think Matthew would have a firsthand exposure to some things more than Mark would. Make sense? But then sometimes why is it that Mark has very clear, uh, clear details about a thing that Matthew borrows from? You know why? Because sometimes it says something like a transfiguration. Peter was invited, Matthew was not. So Peter shares with Mark. Mark says, let me tell you what happened here. And Matthew goes, oh, I wasn't there. Let me write that down. And so sometimes it's actually like almost word for word specific as you read from it. They're sharing information. Also know this, think horizontally, be aware of the parallels in other Gospels. I mean, certain things that you see that you go, okay, how does this relate to other Gospels and what, what are the differences there? Sometimes the differences are very, very interesting. Um, why does Matthew highlight this and Mark leave it out? Sometimes it has to do with the audience that they're writing to. Sometimes it has to do with the passion of the author about certain things that he would be very um, focused on. So think horizontally, but also we want to think vertically. Be aware of the historical and the literary context. So what's going on in history at that time? What's going on in the whole deal? But also literary, what's going on in the ebb and flow of that book? So as Matthew's putting it together, why is he put this here and Mark put it there and whatnot? Because uh, I do want to tell you this. Sometimes if you read the Gospels, it appears that it's not always linear chronologically. Sometimes like, hey, did, are we, are, did you just skip back a few months? And sometimes there are those moments where he, they're skipping back. It doesn't change the ebb and flow of what happened, but it does in the order of how they present some of the things there together. Um, number next, how should we interpret the parables? I want to go back to those just for a quick second. Be careful not to allegorize the parables. Uh, an allegory is this. It means that every single detail has a super special hidden meaning. And um, be very, very careful there because if the interpretation of the parable is based on how creative you can get, y'all, we can come up with some crazy stuff, you know? Um, the biggest one was, you know, uh, I think I mentioned this a, a few weeks ago, but uh, Origen is an old philosopher who said it this way, well, the Good Samaritan is actually not about the Good Samaritan. It's actually about the Jews and blah, 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 and Jesus' the second coming and all these different things. No, I think Jesus meant this is how you treat people. This is what this means. And you don't have to think any, any beyond that. You don't have to allegorize them. Also, digest the parables by identifying points of reference to which the original hearers would have connected. 
what are certain things that when they hear it, they would go, huh, that's interesting. Why would he go there? So when you digest the parables, um, case in point, we mentioned the Good Samaritan. Um, who does he speak the Good Samaritan to? It wasn't a bunch of Samaritans. You know, you know what Samaritans were? They were actually, uh, the Jews really were um, very racist toward them because they were a mixed breed. Uh, certain situations, imagine like your dad's a Jew and your mom's a Gentile, right? And you're, you're not the, the elite elite like us. So you go over there and you're just, you're just not part of the in crowd. So he looks at a part of the in crowd one day and says, hey, just imagine that there's this guy got beat up on the road and he's going here and all of a sudden he's left for dead and here comes the Pharisee, here comes the Levi, here comes the priest. And everybody goes, I know what we're going to do. And he walked right by him. Left him there in the ditch. Here comes another religious guy, all high and mighty, and he's read all the stuff in the law and know what you're supposed to do, and he walks right by him, and then you won't believe. Here comes a Samaritan. They're like, ha, Samaritan probably kicked him while he's down and saw if there's anything left. And the Samaritan bandaged up his wounds, took him into a place to live, took, took care of all the tab on it, and says, I, I, I'll take care of all those things, and I'll come back and make sure that and it, it's on my account. Now, that was a shock to the system. What was Jesus saying? Just because you think you're part of the in crowd does not mean you were right. If you miss compassion, if you miss caring for your fellow man, you don't get the point of the scriptures. You don't get it. Such a huge part of it. So make sure you listen in for those things of which he says. I'll give you another example. When he talks about um, prodigal son, if he's at a place where he is feeding, once again, who was he eating with? I ain't got the rock bottom? Hogs, right? What was the keystone group of uh, animals that Jews were not supposed to eat? You think that was intentional? <laughs> of course it was. Of course it was. So they're showing all these different kind of points of contact with it. Uh, discover to whom Jesus addressed the parable. A lot of times that will help you make a lot of sense if you understand it. Discover to whom Jesus addressed the parable. Uh, he gave some really rough ones to some of the righteous people uh, and it was kind of common kind of deal. Now, why are four Gospels necessary? Here, let me, let's unpack this for a second. Different Christian communities needed a specific book about Jesus. Okay? Matthew wrote to the Jews. It's not that a Jew couldn't enjoy the book of Mark, but Matthew wrote with the eyes on these Jews. And so everything within that book is geared towards his audience. It doesn't mean he changes the message, which means that he tailors the way that he frames it. There are certain things he's going to make sure that he says and does to wake up the Jewish audience. Um, sometimes, folks, you have to realize in your audience that if you want to be heard, you have to do certain things, right? So I give you an example. When I was in college, there was a guy that I was sending out on the impact team who was... Um, Okay, so I, I, this was not the uh, 70s Jesus movement, okay? But I think he thought he was stuck in it, if that makes sense, okay? He's just an old good Jesus hippie, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? Like, he just, he wants to wear flip-flops, he wants to have long flowing hair, he just kind of wants to be casual, torn up clothes, this kind of stuff. He's like, I want to be a preacher for an impact team and go out to some of these churches. I said, well, let me tell you about this church you're going into. Um, they have recently split on the color of the carpet in their sanctuary, so I think... If you want to be heard, you might want to 
put on something with closed toes on your feet. Okay, that's all I'm asking you to do, okay? Well, they, 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 they need to get over that kind of stuff. I agree. But if you walk in like that, you're never going to have an opportunity for them to even hear you. Now, this is hard. This is where Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I became all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. So there are certain times where I go, all right, I, do I think it's important to do this or to wear that or to be this way? No, I think people need to be mature enough to get over that. But if they are not, I still want to have the opportunity to be able to speak in their life rather than just sort of have their ears closed because it's something that is just completely ridiculous, right? So with this, in all this, they're coming alongside different Christian communities, need a specific book about Jesus, so they tailor those books in specific ways to it. Now, as individual accounts, they each tell a complete story to a particular people. So, as an individual thing, there's nothing missing in Mark, nothing missing in Luke, nothing missing in Matthew, nothing missing in John. You can read it and say, wow, that is awesome, and you get a clear picture of who Jesus is. But as a whole, they fill in details and provide a more comprehensive perspective. So if you read them all together, um, you see a fuller picture, right? Um, so right back before Easter, if y'all remember, there was, um, uh, I got T-boned by the a teenager that ran a red light. Uh, I was, you know, going through and whatnot, and he just completely just blew past it and just, you know, knocked into me and whatnot. And um, so then the police officer's asking for, you know, hey, what happened? I said, well, this kid ran a red light. And I, I don't know if he's on the phone or not, but hit me. And that's what happened, right? He's like, well, I need to see if there's any witnesses. I was like, it's Woodruff Road. Everybody's trying to get away from us. They don't want to stay here, okay? They're trying to get as far away as they possibly can. He's like, well, do you have any witnesses? I said, there literally is nobody here. Like, everybody just keeps going around. Well, we're going to see the traffic cams where you find anything. The traffic cams don't say anything. Da, 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 okay? But what's supposed to happen in those moments is, okay, imagine this. Here's a car wreck, right? There's the vantage point of the person who's in the car. There's a vantage point of the person who was driving the car that hit. There's somebody else who's in this position. And if you interview all those people, what the police officer is trying to do is, oh, now I see the complete picture, right? So what happens here in this is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all looking at the same story from a different angle. And if you get all of their stuff together, it really goes, oh, this is the full picture, right? Individually, it's fine. It tells you everything you need. But it does allow you to see some other things. Now, what makes each gospel unique? I love teaching this. I get so excited about this um, because I'm going to show you something uh, that hopefully, if you'll think through this, it's going to change the way you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Somebody taught me this years ago, and I just stuck on it. Can't get enough of it. So the better you understand the context of each author, the fuller you will understand the passage and identify where it belongs. Okay? So better you understand the context, fuller you'll understand the passage, identify where it belongs. So let's look at Brother Matthew. Okay? Matthew, his intention is that he presents Jesus as Israel's what? Messiah. Messiah, okay? So he is coming along saying, as the Messiah, this is the long-awaited Israel, so the Jewish Messiah. So his primary audience is what? It's these Jews, right? So as he's writing this, we're understanding this. He's writing to Jews, and he's presenting Jesus as, hey, all you Jews, you've been waiting around for the Messiah. Guess what? We found him. This is it. So... Author source, he's a first-hand witness as one of the what? Twelve. He is one of the original twelve disciples. So do you think he has some type of notoriety? When he, like when he speaks, people listen like, hey, you were there, right? So one of the twelve. What is his occupation? Do you think being a tax collector changes the way that some of the things that he's going to share? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Guess what do you think Matthew's going to talk a lot about? You might want to guess? 
Money? Mark, Luke, John, do they talk about money? Not as much as Matthew. <laughs> Why? Because that, that's Matthew lived and breathed this for so long of his life. So he's very, very into this. The dates are in the 50s or 60s. Uh, the author's perspective we'll look at in just a moment here. But so one thing you, you do want to notice when he says 50s or 60s, we believe Jesus died somewhere in the mid-30s, and you go, why in the world did it take 20 to 30 years to write a book about Jesus? Great question. First answer is this. They were on the run, folks. They thought Jesus was coming back any day. That was kind of the original thing they were thinking, but then they also were like, everybody's trying to kill us because we still identify with Jesus. So they were just on the move so much that eventually they were out of Jerusalem and had the opportunity to write these things and knew that they needed to write some of this stuff down. But because the way that Jesus taught, the beauty of it was most of his teaching could be remembered because he taught so much of it in stories. They were events. And so they could, and it was an oral culture where you would tell everybody, hey, this is what happened, and people would remember in a lot better way than what we would. So look at, uh, here's the passage here. My bad. Um, uh, this is about Matthew's calling in Matthew chapter 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting where? At the tax booth. So Jesus goes to his job, right? Goes to his job. Comes along in there and says, okay, he comes to the tax booth. And he said to me, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think there's any other details that are left out of that story of what took place there? Probably, right? You should get to the point. Hey, walked into a tax booth. Want to follow me? Sure. Okay. That's it? Okay. Anything else? Well, there probably was more to it. But this is what Jesus is after. This is what Matthew's after, at least. Look at verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many what? Hats collectors. Hats collectors and? Sinners. It's like he identifies those two things together, doesn't he? Tax collectors and sinners were eating there. And they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. That means they sound close. And when the who? Pharisees. Here's these Jewish Pharisees saw this. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? And sinners, all these horrible people, they're just like each other, right? Tax collectors and sinners, they're just absolutely awful. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are what? Mm. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I want people who know they need grace, not somebody who thinks that they've made it on their own. <laughs> those, people, I can't, those people are refusing help, right? So at this point, Matthew is saying, let me tell you about my story. I was called out an unlikely person so shocking that the religious people of our day didn't even think he deserved to have a, a meal with me. And this is what Jesus said in my first meal with him. Well, I'll change your life right there. Um, then and also uh, a little bit later in Matthew, it says, He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. I just give you this because this is the list of the twelve disciples. It says, First, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and what? Matthew, the what? <laughs> Only one that's getting a job in this list, right? Why is that? Matthew wants to go, if he can invite me, oh, you definitely can get in, okay? I mean, I'm a tax collector. What was so bad about a tax collector? He was a Jewish person working for the Roman establishment, taking money for the horrible government and keeping some from himself, from his brothers and sisters. He was hated. He goes, Jesus called me. Which is also great. Whole another story here. Well, the other designation here, you see Simon the what? Zealots were those who were trying to overthrow the government, and Matthew is over here working for the government. See, we often try to get people that just always think and act like us around us, and guess what Jesus does? Ah, nah, nah, Matthew, Simon, trust fall, y'all come over here. Okay, right? I mean, he's putting these guys together, 
to see something incredible different in their life. Now, let's look at Mark. Uh, emphasize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. His primary audience is what? Roman, Roman Empire. What do you know about the Roman Empire at the time of uh, uh, when Christianity started? Anybody? Lots of gods. Lots of gods. What was the entertainment on the weekend you go to? It was a big old area called the Colosseum. And in the Colosseum, you'd put a man versus a lion for fun, right? You would put uh, Christians on torches so that they could lamp the, uh, light the way of whatnot. This group of people are so, they are UFC fighter frenzy, okay? This is all they are. They're just action-oriented, fighting, blood, guts, you name it. So let me ask you a question. What do you think Mark's not going to spend a whole lot of time on? A lot of teaching. You know why? Romans don't have time for that. They want the action, baby. <laughs> Tell me what happened next. What happened next? And that's why Mark is going to give you action upon action. He's author source. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's not one of the 12. He got most of his information as a colleague of who? Peter. So you got a lot of firsthand information that came from Peter to Mark. His occupation, we have no idea what Mark does other than write a pretty awesome book and hang out with some pretty awesome people. Date 50s or 60s, let me give you the author's perspective on who this guy is. Jesus is going to be arrested and he's just gotten arrested. Judas has come and betrayed him. And in the middle of Mark chapter um, 14, it says this. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away what? Why in the world is that story even important to the narrative scripture? The Son of God has just been betrayed by his friend and arrested. Why in Mark chapter 14 is that important? Because in those days, you never said, hey, this book is by the guy named John Mark, and I want you all to read my book. You would insert a context clue to the audience that would know who you are. So you want to know who was the guy who ran away naked the night that Jesus uh, got arrested? Mark. And this is his way of sliding in there going, you remember that night that guy was streaking through the forest? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> okay, that was me. Uh, I was always running away from stuff, and until I got my... It's funny because if you remember on uh, one day... Paul and Barnabas were going on a mission trip and they got in a fight. You know why? Mark. John Mark. Who didn't want to do what? Go on the mission trip? Running again. Running again. Running again. Running again. And at the end of um, Paul's life, sec last letter he writes, 2 Timothy, it says, can you send Mark to me because he's very useful to me. Yeah. Mark had changed at the end of his life. So it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, let's look at Luke. It was written to a what man? Gentile. In those times, there were Jews and there were Gentiles, which meant everybody else. Named a guy named Theophilus. As a presentation of a careful investigation of all the facts about Christ, Luke writes to his buddy Theo and says, i got to tell you about this guy named Jesus. I've gotten it all together because I want you to believe. Okay? Primary audience is who? Gentiles. Gentiles. Matthew wrote a book to the Jews. I'm going to write a book for everybody else. They know that Jesus is not just for the Jews. Author source, a colleague of Paul, even though Paul was not one of the original disciples, he was the one that was so close to the early church and had so much of the information. He interviewed many sources. Luke has some of the most intimate details of things of which he wasn't even a part of. His occupation was what? A he's a doctor. He's a physician. So there are going to be certain things about Jesus' ministry that's really going to spark his imagination, right? Wait, he did what? He, he, he healed that? Really? And it's just going to marvel at it. Uh, he most likely wrote a little bit after Matthew and Mark. Let me give you the author's perspective. Let me, let me read this to you. This is the opening words of Dr. Luke's account of Jesus. And I just want to ask you if this sounds like an educated man who's talking over your head as it starts. 
Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you might have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. <laughs> what? <laughs> have you all ever left the doctor's office and you go... I don't know if I'm dying or if I'm okay. I don't know what he just said. I got no clue. I'm not sure exactly what he just said. I hope he wrote it down. Or can nurse, can you translate what he just said? Right there, you go, folks. That this is this is someone who's very well learned, right? Okay, he, he knows. He said, "Oh, most excellent Theophilus, I've gotten all this stuff together so you can make an educated, informed decision about Jesus." And I've done all these things, and you go, "Whoa, Luke's got some vocabulary words, right?" Okay, he he knows some stuff, right? I just want you to uh, see Luke chapter 2, verse 19, and notice something. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. How can you say that unless what has happened? Talk to Mary. Mary. You don't make that up, right? So, it appears to us that Dr. Luke found Mother Mary at some point and said, Can you tell me what that birth was like? And she goes, oh, so incredible. These people walked in and said this kind of stuff. And oh, and I just pondered all these things and treasured them up in my heart. He's like, oh, that's good. He's writing it down, right? He's just like, oh, they write it down, write it down, write it down. It is really, really good. And so this is kind of this idea that Luke did a really good job as an investigator. So I'll go ahead and tell you this. You're already starting to see this, right? So you have a friend who goes, well, I want to read the gospel, but I don't know which one to start with. What kind of person are they? The investigative? I want to know all the details. Go to Luke. I'm deep and theological. Go to John. I like action. Go to Mark. I really like to know how it's connected throughout all Scripture. Go to Matthew. And you just find these different places where it's good to look at. Last one, John, intention. He teaches the theological truth to persuade people to believe in Jesus. So his primary audience are non-Christians. He, in fact, calls at the very end. I'm doing all this so that you will know. I want you to follow Jesus. Uh, if you're wondering, any doubt in imagination, I'll go ahead and tell you. The reason I wrote this is so you'd be converted and you'd follow Jesus too. Author source, he's the first-hand witness, is one of the twelve, and also the inner what? So there are certain times where Jesus gets a few people around for something very, very special, and only three of them get an invitation. It's Peter, James, and John. Uh, we also know this about John, that it says, and uh, a lot of times it would say, hey, John was uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Apparently, and what that means is that he was his best friend. They were just the, the tightest, right? Um, date around 80 what? Now, we've been looking at other letters that are written in the 50s and 60s. That's a big jump, isn't it? Big jump. So you're looking at a guy who's probably about that age, maybe 10 years younger at that time, because he's, he's probably 20 or 30 when he starts following Jesus. And so you're looking at a guy in his 70s or 80s, most likely, when he writes this. Why does he write so late? Here's the reason why I think. This is why John is so different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke did a lot of good work, and for a few decades those letters are going, and then all of a sudden he sees some things. He goes, you know what? There's some other stuff y'all missed I need to write now. So he writes a book, very, very different. Author's perspective. Um, uh, in the book of John, this is what it says. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another what? Once again, you see in Mark how you don't really say your name. John is not going to say his name out. Since that disciple was known to the who? So that means he's somebody special. He's known to the high priest. Uh, so he gets in the door when Jesus is being arrested. Why? Because the high priest knows him. Hey, John, oh, I love your dad's fishing business. Blah, blah, blah. What you doing over here? Hey, I want to know what's going on with Jesus. And John had those inroads that some of these other guys didn't. Um, but Peter stood outside the door. Peter's not getting in. John's in. 
So the other disciple who's known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watching the door and brought Peter in. Peter, you can come with me because I'm special, you're not. Okay, uh, this is kind of the idea, right? Um, think about this. At the end of John, it says, when Jesus saw his mother, Jesus is on the cross at this point, saw his mother and the disciple whom he what? Love. Loved. Standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your... Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. What is this moment? At this point, Jesus says, Most likely we believe that Joseph is dead. And the oldest son says, I entrust my mother to the person I love and, and trust the most of my life. John, will you watch out for my mom? This is close, right? This is tight. Um, uh, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. Once again, this is his job. This is also one thing i got to show you, though. In John chapter 20, uh, the women have seen the empty tomb. It says, So she ran and went to summon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love this verse. You know why? Because it just so it just shows us one thing: dudes are always going to be dudes. You know what I'm saying? Like just going, yeah, we were running, but I'm still faster than Peter. Okay, like I got there. I'm not even going to say my name, but y'all can read through it. We were all running. And I left Peter in the dust because he's always been slow, and I've always been faster. Jesus has been resurrected, but I got to brag a little bit. Okay, I love it. All right. Um, this is the disciple who's bearing witnesses about these things, who has written these things. We know that his testimony is true. Now they're all. I love this last verse, John 21. 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Wow. World could not hold if we wrote it all down. You just see a little snapshot of what he'd done. But if I were to start, you'd be amazed at what he's done. Now let me do this really quick and then uh, we're going to be done. This is my favorite thing to do. Okay, I'm going to give you um, a few uh, little items here, and I want you to see if you can guess, make an educated guess, which gospel do you think it's from, based on what we know about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, okay? So here's the deal. First thing right here, large number of healings. I want you to think about it for a second. So all of them contain some healings. Which gospel would you think would lean towards more a lot of healings? Do you want to take a guess? It's Luke. Doctor, it, it is exciting. You think it's exciting, but here's where the doctor's going. He healed What? I took that person as a patient. I couldn't figure out what to do. He, you mean he did this? No, 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 no. you got to be kidding me. He's overwhelmed with healings because he's a medical doctor, and he's seen what all these kind of things have happened, and all of a sudden it blows his mind. So you see healings in all of them, but Luke's is, is blowing up on. Uh, next one, more parables on money. Y'all smart. There you go. Matthew, if you want to see a good uh, picture of what is happening in Scripture and what Jesus thinks about money, Matthew is going to say, you want us to do what with our money again? <laughs> okay, And, it just, and there's, there's going to be other parables. You'll find some in Luke in different places. But Matthew has the most contents on teaching about money. Number three, less amount of teaching material. That's, that's right. It's Mark. He's like, look, Romans don't have time for all that. they got to move on. And what's the next thing that happens, right? And he continues to move on and on and on and on. Next, prefers to say kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God. And this one's not as easy, okay? All right. First to say kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you what it is. Okay? It's Matthew. Okay? Now here's why. Because Matthew is writing his audience. Who's his audience again? Jews. Jews. And in those Jewish systems, there are ten commandments. And there is one of those commandments that says, Do not take the Lord's God 
So there are many times that if Jesus was speaking to a Jewish audience, he would say kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God because sometimes Jewish people would not listen if he would say the name God. And if Matthew was writing his letter, some of the Jewish people would not listen if he said God, so therefore he wrote heaven. Does it change the meaning? Nope, it just keeps the conversation going. So you say Matthew, he goes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You get a mark, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Totally different audience, and he writes it a little bit different. So if you see... If you see a verse that says, somebody says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's Matthew. You know it. Absolutely. You guys are smart. Okay, awesome. Um, starts Jesus' family tree with Adam. Luke. Why would Luke do this? Because he is speaking to the Gentiles, right? Which is all of us come from so we go all the way back to genealogy and who's the first person that's ever created was adam and guess what we're all on team adam in that sense we all come from that one family tree and so we get, here's these gentiles going we've never been on the in crowd he goes well if you go all the way back guess what we all come from the same place anyway so that's where he starts okay next roughest on peter's character who would be the roughest on peter anybody want to guess mark because where did Mark get most of his information from? Peter. So here's the deal. Y'all follow this. This is incredible. There are some times where Matthew would say, Hey, this such and such happened, and there was one of our, our disciples that stuck his foot in his mouth. And Mark goes, It was Peter. <laughs> it was so Peter. He did it. He did it. He did it. And why, what was Peter saying? I'm going to own that. Uh, don't, don't, don't hide this. I, I was the, the goofball who continued to make a mess of things, and I'm not ashamed to say it, right? Next one. The I am statements. There's seven I am statements that say, I am the resurrection of life. I am the bread of life. They're deep theological. You guys are already saying it. It is John. All the great I am statements are in the book of John. To these people to hear Jesus make these incredible, um, once again, the seven statements there. Next, starts Jesus' family tree with Abraham. Who would be most concerned with the, the Abraham faith, the family of the Jewish people? It's Matthew. That's right. Got it? So he starts, he doesn't start with Adam. He says, ah, oh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, right? Because that's what you Jewish people are concerned about. Those are from Abraham. Let me tell you who came from Abraham. Um, most descriptive of the virgin birth. That's right. It's Luke. It's Dr. Luke. you got to be kidding me. I've delivered a lot of babies, not one like this, right? Okay. And also, if Luke investigated all this, he's interviewing Mary. So when you read the Christmas story, you go to Luke. Okay. You do not go to Mark. He don't care, okay? Matthew says, I will give you some information on, um, this is also important for you to know. You hear about the, um, the, the wise men, you hear about Joseph's story, you hear about Mary's story. Matthew is more geared towards Joseph's story. Why? Because he's in the lineage of Abraham. Luke is more responsible for Mary's because of the virgin birth and miraculous nature of what's happening. So if you're putting together the Christmas story and you're watching um, the Charlie Brown Christmas or whatever, you, if it has to do with Mary and the birth, you're going to Luke, okay? Plenty of fishing stories. Anyone want to guess? That was John. Because John was a what? He's a fisherman, right? So there's all these moments if you go, oh, they went back to the boat and they started fishing again. It is Brother John because that was something that's so important for him. Who would have the most Old Testament quotations? That's right, it's Matthew. He's going, so you'll probably see so many times, as is written, as is written, as is written, as is written. Y'all been reading the Old Testament. Let me tell you who fulfills it. His name is Jesus, right? Um, very detailed and retelling facts. Y'all know that, right? It's, it's Luke. He's very detailed and retelling facts. Uses the word immediately 41 times. 
Mark, that's exactly right. It had this happened, and this happened, and this happened. It was a nonstop party with Jesus, right? Immediately, 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 just kept on going. Let me give you a, a scripture passage. See if you can see who this might have been written from. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is six months for her who has been called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary, Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord, and let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You might want to guess who that is. Luke. This is Luke, okay, right, who interviewed Mary once again. Let me give you one more. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, and they entered the pigs and the herd, and numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the sea. It is Mark, right? Okay? You guys get it. You just tell. He's like, you won't believe what happened next. Right? Okay? Keeps you going. Okay? Next. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son, full of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's theological. It's deep. It is Brother John. Um, as we look at in this last one, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. This is Matthew who is pointing us to these truths there. So with all of this, I believe that's the last one. Folks, I could give you a verse out of scripture right now and you can at least go to which book it is because you guys are brilliant. Look at that, right? But look at the beautiful nature of this. Four different groups of people that Jesus cared about. Matthew, you write to them. Mark, you write to them. Luke, you write to them. John, you write to them. Think about it. We have read these places. They've been translated into our language and it's been life-changing for us. All different audiences, all different stuff, different languages, different places, but God is working in that. For us to know the truth, where they're coming from, helps us to unpack that. So, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for sending your spirit to come. Um, and to uh, inspire all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to write these Gospels for which they have changed our lives and continue to change others. Lord, I pray that as we understand the Gospel truths, that you would help us understand um, not only where they came from, but Lord, what you are seeking to teach us through them. We love your word. We pray that we will continue to grow in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.